Hi, and welcome to Just the GP. Today we're here for a non-COVID recording with Isabel Hansen. She is a exceptional GP T1 registrar. She worked with the NDOK program that we've spoken about before last year. And she's here to talk to us about how to lead through joy through social connection and specifically about her endeavours doing that with singing. So hello, Isabel. Hi, Beck. Thank you for having me on the program. Lovely. And today we're joined by our usual Charlotte and Ash. Hello, hello. 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 Hi. We're going to start with our highlight of the week. So, Isabel, do you want to take us away with your highlight? Certainly. My highlight of the week has been riding my bike to work every day. So I live about a 20-minute bike ride from my practice. Highlights of that include someone called out yesterday. I was wearing scrubs that had doctor on them and someone called out and said, lovely to see you doctors out exercising. And also seeing everyone else out exercising and the air is cleaner and the roads are quieter. So it's a silver lining of our social distancing right now that it's very nice to be a bicyclist. Sounds wonderful. I'm very jealous. I would love to be commutable by bike to work. It's a wonderful thing to do. And Charlotte, what was your highlight of the week? My highlight of the week is actually a highlight of the day. I'm working at home today and I'd been doing some belly health consultations. I'd potted down to do lunch out of my fridge and the doorbell goes and I let my husband, who's working from home, go there. And it was a delivery of flowers, the most beautiful flowers for me. This is very special because I don't usually get flowers and I love flowers and my husband thinks flowers are a complete waste of time. So I married the wrong person if I wanted my romance flower button ever pushed and they were a thank you from the wonderful RACGP faculty and just sort of encouraging me in in my week and for the work that I've been doing and it was just I tell you it actually made me cry and I don't often cry. Oh that's so lovely Charlotte and I'll give you the inside information how wonderful a gesture that is and you were very well supported and everybody on the Faculty Council of New South Wales and ACT were in total agreement in the amount of work that you've been tirelessly and amount of resource that you've personally put in and we're all very appreciative of what you're doing for us and for general practice as a whole. Thanks, Ash, and thanks, Beck, too. You know, when you sort of feel like sometimes your, your lungs are emptied and they were emptied. In a good way, I hope. Oh, absolutely, in a good way. That's a wonderful highlight of the day and very much deserved. Ash, what's your highlight? Today I received my rosin in the mail. I have recently taken up the cello and I ran out of rosin, which is the sticky stuff that goes on the bow to make sure that it can connect with the strings and I haven't been able to practice the cello because I didn't have any rosin and it arrived in the mail today. So that was a fun highlight. Very cool thing to take up. Is this a social isolation hobby or is this one that we were doing pre-social isolation? It was pre-social isolation, but I had to do half of the term face-to-face and then half of the term via Zoom. I'm going to jump in with my highlight of the week being that we just had Easter last Sunday and Easter with kids is absolutely amazing and we did the biggest Easter egg hunt through our house 
up and down the stairs, through downstairs, found literally more Easter eggs than my children now know what to do with. And I'm actually now having to rehide them so that they can't find them again. It's been a wonderful, wonderful week. <laughs> Great fun. So, Isabel, first of all, you have a wonderful name. You have my daughter's name. So that's also a trigger for how awesome this week has been. But I was hoping you could start by telling us what led you to starting the singing group last year and why it was so important to do. Yeah, so I was the resident medical officer's wellbeing officer last year in Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. And I have a real passion for doctor wellbeing and particularly for community. And singing is just so good for us. I had sung in a community choir all throughout medical school and that act of grounding into the body, making noise with your voice, singing things that make you laugh or smile or feel, and then listening into the resonance of other people doing that with you, I think it just has a really beautiful connecting healing event. We know most tribal societies and most major religions have some form of communal singing or chanting, and there's a reason for that because it's a great connector. So I propose that me and the brilliant Liz Lecanay, who is a professionally trained opera singer, choir master, she's worked with music and healing all over America and Europe, and she was my choir master in the community that we put together a healthcare choir for not just doctors but nurses you know porters admin staff executive so that all these people in this big environment that's often quite disconnected and hierarchical could come together and have a sing and yeah bring some joy into the work day and yeah the journey to setting that up was an exciting one and it's been going now for a, a little over a year. I think that's such a wonderful thing to do and amazing that it hasn't been done before. I think it's a fantastic initiative. I read something about when you started it, you weren't expecting a large number of people to come along. And at your first event, it was almost a sellout. It was standing room only. You had more people there than you had anticipated you'd get. And you just grew bigger and bigger from there. Is that what you experienced? Yeah, it was really inspiring. And I think it's just trusting that knowledge that People want to connect with joy. They want to have fun, even when they're in. I, I mean, there are some serious environments with patients on the wards where that's not appropriate. But when you're outside of that environment, people want to be joyful. So our very first launch, we, we, we pitched it to the chief executive. So Bethan Richards, who I know has been on the program, who's the wellbeing officer for RPA and heads up MDOK, invited us to come along. And I presented all the evidence behind why singing is effective at building connection, at de-stressing people, making them feel more engaged. And then I handed over to Liz and she took everyone through a sort of musical warm-up exercise and then we all built through a na-na-na-na-na-na-na into Hey Jude. And we got the chief executive, Teresa Anderson, all singing. And from that moment we went, oh, this is this is going to work. So when we had our first launch, we thought, oh, we'll get a little drip of people. But yeah, it was incredible. We had, as you said, standing room only. And ever since then, it's just been a drop-in space. People know at 5.45 to 6.45 in the resident common room that it's now open to all of our local health district. If you work there, 
you can come along, have a sing, have a drink, and spend time with your colleagues. And yeah, it's been fantastic. We've also started, unfortunately, until you know, with everything with coronavirus, but last year we started having sing-ins in the lobby. So we would have a 15-minute flash mob choir where anyone from staff could come down, bust out a few tunes, and then go back during their work day. And so we're now trying to bring that singing and joyfulness, not just to staff, but also to the broader community of the hospital and patients. How are you doing it now with the pandemic have you got some online ways of keeping in contact and singing we do so we have just taken our feel good choir onto zoom and we are all doing it from our homes or our workplaces and dialing in every week 5 45 to 6 45 on mondays and the nice thing is that we're now a healthcare workers choir rather than just for our local area so if you or anyone else listening to this podcast who is a healthcare worker wants to join, all you need to do is get in touch with me and we can link you in. So during this pandemic where we're all dealing with the difficulties of social isolation, if you're a healthcare worker, you're welcome to come along to our online choir. Now that sounds fun, which gets me into my sort of next question. So this was good because you were working in the hospital, but now you've come into the real world of community medicine and general practice. But how do you see this vision of singing and well-being in your sort of journey as a GP? It's even bigger than singing. It's all forms of social connection because in the end we need each other. You know, there's a beautiful word from Bantu, which is African language, called Ubuntu, and it translates roughly as I am because we are. And I think a core component of doctors' well-being, as well as well-being for everyone, is to feel that sense of social connection. And I know, Charlotte, you're passionate about social prescribing and parkrun. I listened to the great podcast from Just a GP on parkrun recently. And I think this is just another arm where people can find ways to stay connected, stay engaged, find outlets for creative expression. And so in GP, right now, Zoom is working beautifully because it means anyone can join no matter which practice they're at, if they're free at those times. That was always a key component of the choir in the hospital, which was come late, leave early, sing along, mouth the words, be great, be average, be out of tune. We just want you to come and have some joy and connect and creating that that environment of vulnerability and fun rather than trying to strive for perfection, I think, is what makes it accessible. So if people finish work late or are out of practice and can only dial in for 15 minutes, they can easily do that. Going beyond COVID, I think it's going to be about creating community spaces for GPs to connect in these creative capacities, but then also making spaces for us to connect and be together in our professional capacities as well. But, you know, one of the things that COVID might have done is actually give the concept of choir by Zoom, Zoom by choir, because I think you put the finger on one of the issues that I think is the actual need to get from our practices to somewhere in time, then mentally connect and go on. And although I don't think a Zoom is how you would want to do it all the time, it still is another format of actually being able to connect people who otherwise might be too remote. So people who live out 
long way away as well can still actually connect in with a bigger group somewhere else. So I think that actually has some real legs to it, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's got to be a combination because there are huge benefits from being physically in the company of other people. That singing resonance you get from hearing the sound bounce off the walls from your chest and come back at you, but also harmonising with others who are doing the same has a real deep connecting effect. But then we don't want to exclude people who aren't able to access, like you said, because of geography or because of other responsibilities or time. So I think we do both. We find ways to bring people physically together and we find ways to offer options for people so that they can connect in using technology. And I hope that's one of the things that will come out of this time with coronavirus where we see how much more opportunity there is to build social connection in other ways. Isabel, when I first met you and you told me about your choir, I was inspired to actually go and find a choir for myself because I know that certainly as a younger woman, prior to actually being a GP and prior to having a family, I used to sing in a choir and I loved it. And so I thought, why not? So I found a local community choir, which I joined. So I joined that, it was just over a year ago, actually, and they were doing a project on Queen music. And it was great because I joined this choir. I didn't know one other person in it. It was just that it was local. I could walk there. So I actually threw just standing there and singing week after week with music that I just loved. It didn't matter if I sang crappy. I just loved the music and really got into it. And we had a performance and my family came along and I made friends. And so then I kept singing And unfortunately, it all had to stop with COVID. But it gave me a year of really finding new friends, completely different friends, totally outside my normal social connectedness. But they were within the footprint of my actual local community. So so thank you, Isabel, for that and for re-inspiring what I knew was good for me but had not prioritised. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. I didn't know that. I'm delighted that it impacted you to go out and join a choir. I hadn't thought about this in a while, but my joining of the choir in medical school was actually after I went to a seminar by Bessel van der Kolk, the psychiatrist who talks about trauma in the body. And I was thinking about options for helping patients who have trauma. And he talked about how If your trauma has been relational, someone else has hurt you, being in spaces that feel safe with other people where you move your body helps to unlock that. And he suggested dancing and singing and said that those two things are very healing. And I went, oh, that's interesting. I remember loving singing in a choir when I was a little kid in school. used to be in all the musicals. Why don't I go along and check out a local community choir? And I think he's idea isn't just for people who are suffering from trauma it's for everyone that feeling of moving your body in time with other people where you're not having to socialize by talking about your day or by having something existing in common or by drinking alcohol gives you the feeling of connection with a kind of low effort that then builds connection over time and yeah I think that's really lovely I'm interested in the choir for the non-singer or the choir for the doesn't sing regularly in front of people singer. What would you recommend or think about for people who either aren't confident in their singing ability or don't sing in front of people regularly and confidently? 
do you think that the benefits from singing outweigh the anxiety from attending? Absolutely. So everybody benefits from singing regardless of what you perceive as your quality. I think with singing, uh, Liz and me, my choir master, we talk about this. I think people get told very early in their childhood whether they are, inverted commas, a good singer or not a good singer. And there's a small proportion of people who then are allowed to go on and feel confident about their voice. And then the large majority of us, myself included, have to say, oh, I can't sing in public. I'm not a good singer. And it's quite shaming. And part of the choir is about unlocking that. I, I would have consultants in the hospital that I'd say, come to choir. And they'd adopt this kind of posture of, oh, no, I can't sing and look quite young. And you go, oh, that's a soft spot for people. What can we do to make people feel empowered and excited about doing this thing that's like, in our DNA and brings us joy, but we feel shy about doing in front of other people. So when the choir is in person, it's a real environment of just anything goes. Liz, our choir master, is great. It's not a perfect show. There's always a few errors. Sometimes the music stand will fall over or she'll skip a note or we'll get the lyrics wrong and we all laugh. And on all our posters around the hospital, we say very clearly, whether you're a shower singer a mime along singer or, you know, the next Bon Jovi, you're welcome. But for the Zoom choir at the moment, we've actually, we're using Zoom as our technology and we're not able to all sing together in harmony and have the feedback because it's slightly delayed. So what we're doing is we're muting our own voices and hearing Liz and Liz is doing each of the harmonies so we can tune in. So if you could come to our Zoom choir and mime along, and nobody would know the difference. <laughs> or you can sing without anyone else hearing you because it's all on mute. So if you were thinking about popping your training wheels on and coming for a little try, anyone's welcome to come to our Zoom choir. So she's doing all the harmonies at once? How, do, how does that work? So she will go through the harmonies before we start. She'll say this, this is the sops, this is the alto, this is tenor bass. And then she will sing some of them and you can hear her kind of feeling in and occasionally going back to an alto. So if you're if all the stops are strongly singing, she might sort of drop to an alto or drop to a bass, you know. To be honest, we need to get Liz on this podcast to talk about the magic of how she manages to intuitively feel into that, but it works somehow. You usually find your part and then also can hear a harmony with her at the same time. So if you've got multiple people singing at once or everybody's on mute and you can only hear her? You can only hear her. It hasn't been able to work with the feedback. We're looking for other modalities for the technology to try and include everyone. We're also doing some short combined pieces. So we're sending in videos of us singing short pieces that then she is mashing up into a video that has all the different parts. So we recently did a little promo for the hospital to Sweet Caroline, asking people to please wash their hands, reaching out, not touching you, not touching me. <laughs> and Charlotte very kindly participated and gave us a fantastic video. And that's all being put together. So we're finding ways to do some of the harmonies and we're finding ways to keep seeing each other every week for choir. I think that the three of us, Ash, Beck and I, can say that we actually had quite a lot of fun putting that video together. Whether or not it was good or bad, it was the laughter and the camaraderie that we shared in doing it. Would you agree with me, Ash and Beck? 
Yes, and we did arrange it for, I think, a Saturday morning, didn't we? And I was thinking, oh, I have to do a meeting on a Saturday morning, but it was actually a really fun way to start the day. It was. It was lovely. And it didn't take long. And it's actually what reminded me that I do enjoy singing and it doesn't matter how terrible you are. But I agree with you. One thing that we struggled with was the feedback. And definitely with Zoom, there was a little bit of feedback that meant we were not out of tune because we wouldn't be out of tune we were out of sync you all did an excellent job starting at the same moment it was a great video thank you oh, thank you <laughs> yes, the, the coordination wasn't so wonderful <laughs> i thought it was pretty good you said there was some research that you presented to the head of the mdok program about why this was beneficial and i know i'm putting you on the spot because i didn't tell you i was going to ask you about this but specifically why is this important and why is singing good for our well-being? I might tell a little story about why I care about doctor well-being because the choir is just one part of a bigger thing that MDOK is doing and I know Bethan's been on the program talking about exercise, yoga, meditation and then there's so many other areas that they're branching into now and I'm still part of that program. So my journey to caring about doctor well-being was I'd always wanted to be a doctor And in medical school, I found the content fascinating, but I found the culture and the conditions quite challenging. I found the kind of aggressive zero-sum competitiveness where somebody needs to win and be the best. That can sometimes, in situations, progress to bullying. And also the way toughness is framed and not needing rest is a marker of strength and the way that sometimes we would not treat each other as full humans and sometimes reduce our patients to less than human as organ systems, really upsetting because I wanted medicine to be this place of connectivity and joy and kindness and compassion. But I thought I was different. I thought I was too sensitive and that if I wanted to be a doctor, I would just have to keep that to myself and find ways to deal with it and get through. And then in 2008, 2019, I wrote a narrative comic with my friend Safta Ahmed, who's an artist and who's had Crohn's disease for 10 years, about these issues, about dehumanisation, disconnection and burnout of doctors and how that affects patient care. It's called Healing Alone. And we had a supportive grant from Sydney Uni who helped fund him producing the art because that's his full-time work. And we put this thing out there thinking one or two people might see it and that would be it. But we sent it to The Guardian and they published it in the UK Guardian. And it's now been read half a million times and it's been translated into Spanish, Mandarin and French and different universities across the world use it as a teaching resource and completely blew my mind. I had no idea. I had thought wrongly that I was alone in wanting things to be different and that there are so many doctors who want to see this cultural change in medicine. They want to connect with the patients. They want to be of service to the community and they want to be making that positive impact and feeling that sense of meaning. And One of the big things I think that leads to that inability to feel those things or do those things is burnout. It's exhaustion, it's disconnection. And that's how I became really passionate about junior doctor health and well-being. because if we don't get the basics sorted, if we don't have enough time to sleep, rest, connect, reflect, we're not going to be able to be there for our patients. We're not going to be able to find the meaning that brought us to medicine in the first place. 
And so how do we do that? How do we reconnect? And that's where my passion for doctor wellbeing comes from. You're talking so much about this concept of the reason why we choose medicine and then feeling as though when you're in it that your personal values are aligning with work values. And I think this is something that I see quite a lot. And I love that you brought up that it helped to spark your passion for well-being because the cool thing that I love about MDOK is it's recognise the system-based factors that contribute to that. It's not just the doctor-based factors that can contribute to that. And personally, I think that the moment that I stepped into general practice, I felt a much greater alignment in terms of my personal values as to why I got into medicine and then how medicine could allow me to be more patient-centred and community-focused and use those skills. And it's really interesting to me that the step across to general practice enabled that and I found that I had to unlearn a lot of the things that the hospital-based system had taught me about how to practice medicine in order to be a better GP and to be more like the GP that I wanted to be and more like the doctor that I wanted to be for my patients. So I'm interested in what your thoughts are on how we can help to show junior doctors how patient-centred care and community-based care and general practice does allow them to be able to access that true kind of connection with why they wanted to be a doctor and how that's different from the hospital-based system. I think there are two parts to that that I want to answer. One is about the self versus the system and that's something that I found the most frustrating in some wellbeing conversations, it can end up being put back on the individual. You need to do more. You need to exercise more. You need to meditate. You need to take up yoga. You know, and even I had a few people say, I don't have time to come to choir. I'm working a hundred hour week. How is this going to help me? And so I think it's important to start with these things for self-support need to be tailored to the individual, need to be supportive to people's sense of well-being and need to be so that they feel better and can get more out of their life and reconnect with their values so that system change can happen because system change is everything. Doctors aren't lazy and not looking after themselves. It's that it's a really difficult system environment and the system issues are difficult. If they weren't, somebody smart would have fixed them already. But in the hospital system, allowing for the conditions of self-care, flexible work arrangements, breaks, flexible hours, ability to take leave, working through bullying and discrimination in certain cultures and departments, shifting what we measure and what we value, and then having a culture of clear communication, respect, kindness and compassion is what will change things. And I do believe that that change is possible. It just takes a lot of time. But with that expression, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So even though that culture has been in place for a long time, I think that now is the time to start shifting it. And MDOK program and other leaders in this space are starting to make those shifts. But the second one about moving to GP and how we represent how beautiful this specialty is, because I've just made that transition myself. I've just finished being a hospital doctor in February and joined 
a general practice 6th of February this year. And it's incredible to have that flexibility and space to go, this is why I came to medicine and to be able to practice that in some aspect in every consult. And I think we can share that by sharing stories. Stories are incredibly powerful. And so going, you know, GPs at all levels, finding ways to share their stories about what is enriching and meaningful and powerful about what we do with young medical students and aspiring doctors will help to give people a perspective because I know I'd always wanted to be a GP, but going through training, there's a drastic underrepresentation of GPs in medical academia. There was at my university. I know some universities are different, but tiny bit of teaching in the GP program. Otherwise, it's all specialists who work in hospitals and then you do most of your terms in hospitals, whereas that's not a true representation of how much medicine happens. Most medicine happens out in the community. So getting that exposure and sharing our stories about why general practice is wonderful, I think is the pathway to letting people into yeah, seeing how their values can be reflected in their daily practice. We've had this discussion before. We were talking with Beth Oliver about how do you make that enticing for young doctors? Because a lot of the focus on marketing for junior doctors can sometimes be come over to general practice. It's a great lifestyle choice. And a lot of us that work in general practice know how difficult it is and challenging medicine-wise, but also in terms of our own consultation skills and using them to the greatest degree to work with people where they are at in their own life. So sometimes we find that when we're sharing the stories of, you know, how wonderful it is, it overrides the grittiness and how the skill base required to actually do general practice really well. And I keep coming back to that general practice needs to be experienced and that contrast of practicing medicine in a different way that is truly patient-centric can be quite transformative at allowing people to realize why they decided to practice medicine. Absolutely. Beth is um, also a friend of mine. We worked together in palliative care at Royal Prince Alfred last year and she is a wonderful champion for general practice by talking about yeah, the gritty nature of it, the skill, breadth and depth that is required and the joys as well. And I think that's a thing to emphasise as well. So whenever I talk about GP, I never lead with, oh, it's a great lifestyle because that makes it sound like, oh, it's an easy path. It's not being a GP. I am overwhelmed in my first six months with the amount of decisions I make every day and the breadth of medical presentations that come through my door. And I'm just in awe of all of you who are fellowed and practising it day to day. It's enormous. I try to lead whenever I talk to people about general practice with my true passion for it and also the variety of medicine. Every night I get home, I'm looking things up and researching things, whether that's best practice or current research. If you like medicine and you like learning, it's endlessly fascinating. So I think it's yeah expressing that it's not just about lifestyle, but also the ability to practice with your values and to stay passionate and interested in medicine. And I agree, it's got to be experienced. I know that in New Zealand, they've just, I don't know if it's recent, but they've changed their requirements so that to get general registration, every junior doctor has to do a community term. So that can be ED, but it can also be GP. And lots of their junior doctors are opting to go out and do community placements with a GP to reach their general registration. And it would be wonderful if there were more options 
here to be able to do that in your intern and resident year. I love listening to your passion because it's about being passionate that makes a difference to the ability to really enjoy what we do. But another of the things for me that makes me passionate about general practice, and I think you've touched on it but just not actually named it, is about the making a difference. And certainly for me, the longer you're in there, the more you can see that in terms of that you get a longer journey of patient care as well as those intermittent moments of really transformative care. But it's just being able to be there with whole families and cross-generational and just seeing where you make a difference. That is really, really wonderful. I've heard you discuss this on the podcast before about how can we show people that that is one of the most exciting bits of medicine. I think you were calling it sexing up GP. Explain to people that, yeah, you know, you can save a life in general practice every day by making a difference to that person's health and well-being and social situation. And that's thrilling and exciting. It's a slightly different rush to sticking a tube down someone's throat in emergency, but it's full of meaning and commitment. And I think being someone who's just started in my journey of general practice, I haven't got those longitudinal relationships yet, but I hear from GPs like you three and others about how meaningful that is. And yeah, it's something to look forward to. Yeah, it's definitely the benefit of being able to stay in a practice for a little bit of time. I actually think this is a really lovely segue and I'm going to continue with it because I think we're actually touching on in what is quite a different type for general practice, reflecting on what our favourite things about general practice is. And I think I actually want to continue on the conversation and just say that recently I've been reflecting on why one of my favourite bits about general practice is actually the antenatal and immediate postpartum aspects of general practice in just following through a patient through that such a special time or in for some such a difficult time but being able to actually be there for them and that's one aspect that during COVID I've actually been able to still do, been able to still regularly touch base with my antenatal patients. We're still doing our regular childhood vaccinations in the clinic so I'm still seeing them regularly postpartum and it's actually something that I'm able to reflect on and think that that's something that's really awesome about GP that I really enjoy. And I was actually hoping that Isabel and Charlotte have just touched on two things that they really love about general practice. If you had one as well, Ash, if I put you on the spot that you'd be able to talk about. I think that there is that like the small wins can be, you know, really powerful early on and then how those kind of small wins over a long period of time can create massive change in somebody's life. You know, I remember in my first term as a registrar being so excited when I got someone to quit smoking successfully. Getting someone to quit smoking is one of the key health outcomes that we can have for a person in their life in terms of improving their overall health and well-being. And, you know, I would say that's like a short-term win. And then the short kind of little hurdles that you might sometimes have with a patient would be actually sitting down and listening to them about where they're at in their life and what they want out of it and creating mutually agreed goals and then having really simple ways that you can start working towards those 
you know, and I've seen some of my very depressed and dark and patients who've had really chronic medical conditions, once we've kind of really figured out where they want to be and worked on that and had those little small gains over time, over the course of, you know, three, four, five years, when you look back on where they were when they first came to see you and see where they are now and, you know, and I always say to my patients, none of this is me, like look where you are now and that's all been you. You're a bit like this little facilitator where you can help people focus their attention on where they want to focus on in their life and and move them through to get to where they would like to be in a better place. And they're the big wing long-term where you can sit with someone and I'm sure, you know, I'm talking about the short period that I've been a GP for, but I'm sure that Charlotte would see that over the course of, you know, decades with, with patients where you can really see the change that has occurred over time. And it may not always be, in that you've prevented everything, you know, your diabetic may still have a heart attack or your well-controlled patient with everything might still develop a cancer that then, you know, takes their life. And in the health-related statistics, that doesn't necessarily shine through. But the capacity to kind of improve the quality of people's life is really, really powerful and provides a whole lot of purpose and meaning, I think, to the kind of work that we do. Here, here. Well said. I think that's beautiful. And I think that's actually a really nice spot for us to wrap up this session and move on to our resource of the week. I'm actually going to start with, we were talking about doing our taping of the song that we contributed to the Washing Your Hands video which is being made by MDOK and one thing which I've actually used a few times with my high school kids who are concerned about going to school via Zoom is the Zoom background that we experimented with mostly for the ones who aren't from very good socioeconomic backgrounds or don't want all of their friends seeing what their bedroom or their house look like but we're experimenting with using different Zoom backgrounds when they log into their school environment by Zoom as a way of being playful and not being worried or concerned about what everybody else is looking into their life and seeing. And I think that's been quite successful. Isabel, do you want to take us away with your resource of the week? Yes, my resource of the week is the 10% Happier app. It's a fantastic meditation and mindfulness app that's been put together by Dan Harris, Joseph Goldstein, and a whole series of other meditation professionals. It is free for healthcare professionals as part of their offering with COVID and it has some really nice meditations on there. If you're experiencing any anxiety about COVID, they have a special section there for healthcare responders. And there's some other lovely mindfulness and meditation activities and also ones on there. There's a kind body scan. There's just lots of stuff to explore. And if you go to their website, there's an easy link to go through and download it if you're a healthcare professional for free. Beautiful. There's a thing called the Kindness Pandemic project on Facebook. It was started up by a doctor and it's about recognising with kindness the people around us who are doing things and just doing gestures of kindness around everything. And it's a good reminder that we're all stressed and we all need to have those 
yeah, remind everybody around us when they do things and be nice and kind. And I sort of think of it often in just in my daily life, but certainly for me, just that like that bunch of flowers that I got given, that those gestures of kindness make so much difference to all of us as we have to deal with this extraordinarily stressful time that will hopefully not be repeated, but might go on for longer than we want. And mine is our older patients may not be able to access or might be more socially disconnected because of their potential lack of technological engagement. Personally, I have taught quite a few of my over 70s to do video consultations and it's been quite fun. And I found out today that there's an organisation that's set up some employment for young people to support older people with learning about technology. So it's called youngster.co, young as in young person, S-T-E-R as in stir, but not like stirring the pot, like stirring with an E.co. And the older person uh, just pays a flat fee and then the organisation pays the young people an hourly rate and it's to team up young people to teach older people about how to use technology. That sounds so cool. I um, will absolutely be using that next week. I just wanted to say a big thank you to all three of you for a wonderful podcast. It was very much needed this week and I thoroughly enjoyed having a chat with you all today.